Welcome to Geordie Lass and Doc Sass. One day, a Geordie and a Canadian walk into a bar and decide to start a podcast about relationships and what a topic that is. No subjects are off limits. Get in touch today with us at geordielass.com or email info at geordielass.com and let us know what you think and what we should talk about. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Hey. Hey. <laughs> oh, Sarah. There's a bounce in so, your step, a bounce in your voice. <laughs> there's always that brief moment of excitement and anticipation as we say those magical words. Uh, yeah, totally. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. Well, I was thinking, actually, as I was taking, I live by the city airport here in Toronto. And as I'm walking around this, the lakeshore, I'm watching planes take off. And I wonder, and I'm seeing them like maybe you know, 50, 50 meters in the air. And I wonder what is the feeling that that pilot feels as they're taking off? And is it always excitement and that edge of like that zest of little thrill every time? I just kind of wonder because that's kind of how we feel as we're starting off on a new podcast episode, a little bit of ex- a little thrill in the tummy. And do pilots yeah. always feel that I wonder? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? Because we feel it when we're taking off as passengers, but if you did it every day all day like if you're on your third flight like I mean the flights between here and in the UK are like 40 minutes so mm-hmm. they must have a easily if they're doing kind of regional trips like that they must easily be able to get three flights in I'm sure of it mm-hmm. and if you're doing kind of shorter European they probably do too they definitely do there and back don't they mm-hmm. so and then if you're doing that kind of I know they don't fly every single day because we've got rest days and those sorts of things but would you really feel that excited mm. I don't know I think I think so. I think so. I think if you love something so much that every single time, not, I'm sure like every single time, maybe you're a bit distracted, but I'll bet you that if you asked a seasoned pilot, they'd say every time I love it. And I would like to say in love and in relationship, okay, there's going to be crazy days and whatever, but like, there's a feeling of it never gets old. There's parts of your relationship. It never gets old. Gives me a little thrill. I just like to think. I'm having a, I'm having mm. a romantic time in my head, and I'd like to I think, think you that are. I know <laughs> it's spring. Everybody. All I can think is, does it not get bored of saying cabin crew ten minutes to landing? Oh. <laughs> okay, maybe that sucks. But the takeoff and cabin crew doors and check lock or whatever. I know cross check like that. I know cross check yeah. doors. Oh my blah, god, blah, look blah. at us trying to be cabin crew. <laughs> It's like, it's like somebody trying to be a doctor. I'm like, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> you with your pretend doctor. Do you know that thing when you, you know that thing when you go to the doctor and they go, um, oh, how are you? Like, well, I'm not great. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. You know, what's funny. I never ask somebody what, how they are. I say, how can I help you today? Thank you. Yeah, I wish yeah. my doctor would say that to oh, me. Yeah. What's the point of saying, how are you? Well, Shit, actually I'm actually. pants. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Yeah, totally. Now fix me. Absolutely. What a ludicrous <laughs> thing to ask. Isn't it? Absolutely. Never. Anyway, right. We're forgetting why we're here, girl. Oh, we totally are. (laughs) Well, there's been a little bit of, you know, appreciate the things. A new day every day is relationship. That's where I'm at right now. How to cultivate the sense of a new thrill, finding the thrill in every day in your relationship. That's why we're here. Some days it's easier than (laughs) others. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay, Sarah, how are things? How's your, how's your uh, life? Yeah, things, things are okay, actually. Mm-hmm. 
I had, um, speaking of airplanes and uh, cross-checking and 10 minutes to landing, oh. I had a little impromptu visit to the UK to go and spend some time with my daughter over our um, longer weekend oh. of sunshine and fun time. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. How was that? Has she been taking you to bars yet, I wonder? Is that part no, of... Well, no. I mean, we, we go out for dinner and then maybe kind of have a little drink afterwards, but not... Oh the way that she then would go out with kind of mates so uh-huh. but no we have like a lovely time together actually it's really on the way back I was just really kind of I filled my cup up shall we say and um yeah just kind of reflecting on how the relationship changes and just what a like just really lovely girl she is oh oh <laughs> which is you know oh it's always a nice thing to be able to say about your children isn't it oh it is my gosh yeah to be like, you're pretty awesome and I made you. Like those two things are beautiful yeah. things and separately and together, it's even better. I think our awesomeness should probably develop by herself. But, you know, I kept her alive so that she was oh, able to do that. Gosh, that is so beautiful. <laughs> and that's really all you can do. You don't own them. No, not yeah. at all. They become their own people, right? Oh, my, very nice. So, yeah. That's lovely. Oh. So, yeah, it was nice. I am now officially skinned. Oh. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what that means, it means that my daughter has cleaned out my bank account. I was going to say, I think that that means that she was like, yeah. the bank of mummy. Oh, yeah. The bank of mummy was out in full force. <laughs> How does she scam money? Is she like, mom, and she takes you shopping and like waits for you to take out your credit card? Or she just literally blatantly was like, give me cash. Like hostage taking. No, I taking. think it's the, it's the whole kind of experience. It's the um, the eating, it's the kind of stopping for drinks, it's the um, shopping, bit of retail therapy. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Mm. it's oh, mum, doesn't this look lovely? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> and that price tag is fantastic as well. Yeah. Not fantastic in a, a good gla- way. After a little glass of wine, your uh, wallet's a little bit easier to open. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. So she gets you like sozzled up as well yeah well you know nice lunch and then a bit of shopping um yeah <sighs> fair game fair game indeed <laughs> oh beautiful she's learning the tricks good for her good times oh she learned those a long time ago <sighs> nice all right well let's shift to the relationship desk of love what's str- uh, springtime looking like on the desk of love okay let's get to it <sighs> So today I wanted to share a little post that I saw this week and it is in connection with healthy relationships. Mm. Okay, so let me just read this to you. So it says, healthy relationships aren't always glamorous. No matter how much you're in love, you are bound to experience conflict, indifference, hurt and disabling moments. Precious relationships allow you to see the worst side of yourself and your partner, but still choose love. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. That's got me a little bit of reality. I'm like, oh, let's take off in the plane of our relationship and feel a thrill every day and a bounce in our step. And now I'm like, oh, shit, just got real. <laughs> no, in not, a good way. You know, not meant to kind of like burst any bubbles or kind of anything, but I think sometimes a little healthy dose of reality can help to um, really help us in some of those darker moments that we have where we think, um, you know, is it just me that can't have a functional relationship? Is it just me that feels like everything's broken? Because we get surrounded by so much um, false impressions of what relationships are. I just thought actually that presents a really nice healthy balance of the fact that you know, even the best relationships are going to suffer some sort of turmoil, upset, heartache, um, tough times. And that's healthy and it's normal. And I think we need to appreciate that. 
uh, you know, agreed. I think too, um, there's so many of us who struggle on making the transition between the infatuation phase of love and the mature mm-hmm. love and yeah. making that switch. It often, it's sort of like the first, where's the part in the marathon that loses the most people like where, mm-hmm. or the attrition, or maybe the first year of college, most people drop if you're going to drop out, you're probably going to drop out after the first year of college. I don't know. Yeah. Somebody check the stats on that. First, it's the first term often. So oh, that's obviously yes. when, especially when the kids yes. go um, from, from Jersey, uh, they have to go to the UK for um, for university. And they often say if they can survive and go back after the first Christmas, because oh. it starts in September, they come back, they come home for Christmas and kind of realize, oh yeah, it's, it's lovely at home and everything's done for me. And then they have to go back. Mm-hmm. And it's quite a miserable time, January, isn't it? So to go back and kind of face that. But you're right. It's kind of you've, the excitement and the anticipation of going. And then the reality of, oh, actually, this is kind of, this is going to be the next three years of my life. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That is darn near perfect. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, yeah, most of us kind of like peter out in the first six months to mm. two years when the infatuation phase and we freak out. A lot of us who have our avoidant and our anxious attachment styles, Mm. and we see conflict as a bad sign, as a red flag, when really it's just the little hurdles on the marathon. It's like the Mm. Tour de France, and you know that you're going to be getting up these hills. And so the hill is not the problem. It's the way that you approach the hill and the mindset. So I completely agree. Is That's what I'm doing in my between marathon phases of... Mm. Currently, you know, trying to kind of gear up and practice like I'm training for the marathon of my life. And part of that is looking at the hills and anticipating the problems, anticipating the the conflict and so forth and the issues. And so just building my my glutes, building my glute strength <laughs> and my thigh strength to, to shift down gear and, and, uh, we won't ask why you building your thigh strength. <laughs> oh, oh, snap, Sarah coming out frisky out the gate. I thought it was going to be, that's my line. I love it. Yeah. Well, thought we're getting there quick. Ooh, nice. Good times. <laughs> right. Exactly. But I think the key thing for me at the end of that is people see you at the worst, you know, your partner, should be the one that sees you at the worst and still chooses you. That's the key thing for me. Oh, yeah. Okay, gosh, I haven't got there yet. Okay, yes. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I, I will disclaim, though, that it, one... I, I, I want to be seen, I want to be able to experience my worst or go to my worst, but I always want to have my partner be that accountability to say, but still maintain a decorum, but still maintain, like you know, you don't have to get, I can be at my worst where I'm at my weakest, but I don't have to get nasty. I don't have to Mm. sort of play dirty or punch below the belt. That's actually kind of apropos of nothing, but I did want to just say, I I don't want to get so bad so as to become lazy and off my values game. No, not at all. And seeing somebody at their worst isn't necessarily just about that, is it? Sometimes you just go through some really tough times. So, you Mm. know, you might be under significant pressure at work and it actually causes you kind of angst and anxiety and, you know, but somebody else, your partner can still see that and actually kind of be there to support you and, um, and may see, a, you know, a side of you maybe that isn't so nice or yeah. not kind of what the thought is signed up to. But the whole thing is, you know, we're a full package, you get everything and we've, you know, we've got to work with that. Yeah. Oh, you've got it. But I think I know what you're saying is around kind of, you know, we can't rest on laurels. We can't stop looking for ways to improve. We can't, um, 
you know, not reflect on who we are and, and whether things have gone in the right way that we wanted them to or not. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to take that responsibility and accountability for ourselves. But also you want to do that in an environment and in a partnership where you can support each other and be there for each other. Oh my gosh, you've got it. None of us can do this on our own. No, <laughs> no, that's true. Yes. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're right. No, it's funny as I'm processing that, I'm like, yes, that's correct. And that's a no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I agree. All right. I think, well, I'm, gosh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm warmed okay. up. Yeah. Well, if you're warmed up, let's, um, <laughs> let's get over to the hot topic. <laughs> okay. Today's hot topic. Recognizing signs of disrespect in your relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, right off the bat, I, I think that so disrespect as we coach folks at all stages of the relationship, but generally the tail end, right? And by end, I mm. mean, when issues have become so entrenched that people yeah. are half out the door when they think to mm. hire a coach, which is okay, I've been there. And that's hard sometimes to sort of bring in help a little earlier. Yeah, that being said, I think that everybody that we talk to sees the, those signs of disrespect early but ignores the signs mm, yeah. and whether it be people pleasing or, oh, you know, overlooking things, not seeing them as patterns, seeing them as sort of like outliers, mm, a little bit of naivety, yeah. a little bit of ostrich in the sand, whatever it might be. But those signs are usually early, early days. What would you say? Yeah, yeah I think the other thing is, do we really kind of stop to contemplate what that might look like? Mm. You know, if you're not aware of what it looks like, how do you know that it's happening? You know, if we don't really pause and think about, and respect is quite a personal thing, isn't it? So what I'm prepared to, what I see as respect will be different to what you see as respect, different to kind of partners. So we've all got a kind of different barometer or a different level engaged in which to kind of, to measure that by mm-hmm. or to know if it's something that's going to upset us or not. So I think that's the key thing is kind of what's my level of respect? How do I know if my partner is is meeting that level or if there are areas where I think actually that's not so great and mm-hmm. um I think the other thing I would say is we're not so good at looking at kind of how other people treat us. We're very kind of outward focused in terms of what we're doing towards other people how we're acting how we're behaving we can often really neglect that that part which actually takes a step back and says well actually how does my partner treat me do they treat me with respect what um what are the things that I like and don't like about it and Mm -hmm. you know where can I then raise some of that oh yeah and also I mean even in the I I guess if you even look at the question and you say, how do you know if there's, you know, how do you measure or sort of detect if there's disrespect in your relationship? The first thing that we go to is that it's the other person committing something onto us, but it's how we invite respect or lack thereof. Again, um, somebody being disrespectful to me, it it is very likely. And I've, as I reflect back, a lot of it is because I have invited people to treat me in a certain way. I've taught them to treat me in a certain way. And they didn't know any better. So they went and treated me the way that I taught them, which was disrespectful. So I have been teaching people to disrespect me, just saying. And I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah, totally agree. But I think also to that point as well is, so I've taught somebody how to treat me and they've gone, okay, 
But actually, they don't know that it's an issue for you because you're not raising it. Oh, and of course. Yeah. So why why would anything change in that situation? Oh, yeah. So we get uh, yeah. to a level of yeah. acceptance all around when in reality, could we do better? Could we do differently? Absolutely. Yeah. And if we don't address it further down the lane, it's probably going to come out at some stage when there are other parts of the relationship that start falling apart. And we then kind of start to lump everything into the bucket of... Yeah this shit's broken, we can't do anything about it, these are all the things that are wrong and out comes the big long list of everything over the last kind of 10 years that have, you know, ever been wrong in this relationship. So, you know, we do have to kind of take a bit of responsibility and ownership, I think, and start to look at some of these things. Oh gosh, yeah. Hardest thing to do, but it it is true and I find that when I'm coaching a couple And the one person has the list, the inventory list of grievances Mm. that goes back 25 years because there's no statute of limitations. Mm -hmm. It's super, it's not only painful for the partner, but it, it shuts them down and it's, it's very hard to coach. And what we have to do is start to put a statute of of limitations on from how far back can you dredge evidence that this is terrible Mm. and unfixable because you are paralyzing and demotivating your partner because all they ever hear is, well, remember 20 years ago when you did that thing, which Mm. by the way, you never mentioned as a problem. And that's, that's the problem is the goalposts are shifted because we implied consent because we didn't object at the time. And now we're saying it was incorrect. And how demotivating to take the rug out from your partner's feet to say, Mm -hmm. I never gave you the chance to rehabilitate or to apologize. And I'm now sticking you with this without any due recourse. There's nothing that you can do except listen to my accusation powerlessly. And powerlessness is not a position where we can exact positive change in a relationship. No, but I think there's always a, a way to get kind of back on the front foot Mm-hmm. And I think in this, you know, around centered around kind of this hot topic, I think it really is around understanding, you know, what are they, what are the areas in my relationship where I maybe am being disrespected and I'm just not aware. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really nice thing to think before you even are conscious about there being an issue. Yeah. Like <clears throat> I'm thinking, you know, three months into a relationship, you could put a a reminder on your calendar to say. How are my values? How are they being, you know, met or honored in this relationship? What's the level of respect that I am asking for, that I am giving, et cetera, et cetera. You're Mm -hmm. right. So to start to look into your blind spot before you even detect those uncomfortable physical feelings of suffocation or chest pain or nausea or chest tightness or, you know, neck tightness, that we start to start to feel those boundary violations in our body. Yeah, well, there's some of the sim- that that's the symptom side, isn't it, of kind mm. of what's going on. But do you th- is it useful to really just look at kind of different areas of respect in a relationship? Do you think? Oh gosh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Go so for what? It. Like, I'll kick us off. Um, communication. We talk about communication all the time, mm-hmm. and. So for for me, when we're looking at kind of areas of disrespect, this is when, you know, your partner may not be kind of listening to the things that you're sharing. They kind of shut you down. They maybe criticize and belittle the things that you're saying, or they just kind of perceive that you're, you know, the things that you, that you're saying have no value or they kind of instantly kind of dismiss them. Mm. So I think that's something to be really, really aware of is, Actually, when I'm having, when we're having a conversation, do I 
do I have that space to be able to share the things that I feel and think and, and get my general kind of perspective across? Mm. Oh, that's that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's some people who are manipulative and abusive, right? And you cannot mm -hmm. get a word in edgewise, even if you try. But a lot of the time, it's that your partner doesn't know that they're kind of railroading you. And you can actually sort of stand up and say, oh, hey, that you start to petition an advocate for um, mm -hmm. to, to have sort of a, a more equal voice. Or yeah. you may point out, you know, I noticed that when I When I raise my dreams about the future, and, and this happens a lot, I coach around this. Mm. When I raise my dreams about the future, I notice that the first thing that you come back with is actually a negative, why it won't yeah. work, etc. I notice this. What's up with that? Is it that you're, you care about me, you're cautious, you don't want me to fail, you're, you know, etc. Because for me, it's actually very demotivating. And I wonder if we can mm. kind of create a different template for how I share my dreams with you. And you respond. So another area of disrespect, I think, is um, that's just sort of coming up randomly is can be disrespect for family members, uh, disrespect mm. for a mother, a sister, um, you know, maybe at the start of a relationship, maybe you're financially supporting a, a sibling. Uh, but as the, as time goes on, your partner kind of gets old and tired with that and then starts to belittle, you know, certain family members in, the, in their life or the position that they they take. So I think on the kind of family side, for me, what that kind of talks about is my, you know, that value in those connections that I've got outside of the relationship. And so there's that side. If I don't respect that, um, you know, my partner has other other connections. It might just be with family. It might be with friends. You know, we've got to allow each other to be who, who we are and who we were when, you know, before we met our prospective partners. So I think that is something that's that's quite important. I think the other thing for me is around the um, emotional disrespect. So, and this might kind of play into some of those family relationships or those personal connections. You know, if I've got a total disregard for my partner's emotions and I don't really kind of listen to how they're feeling and I don't really kind of respond to that and I don't want to, you know, I'm not there to support them and I just kind of, you know, almost dismiss them like your you know your feelings or your emotions are irrelevant that for me shows a you know a very strong lack of disrespect for who my partner is and the things that they're going through and then how I need to show up in order to support them and meet them exactly where they're at yeah and that's really easy to do when we are at the beginning of a relationship when we're fueled by that infatuation we will bend yeah. over backwards and over the moon um mm -hmm. But that empathy starts to dry out if we don't feed that garden yeah. and it becomes increasingly hard to see our partner's point of view. And then we retreat to our point of view because we get this sense of, uh, well, they're not emotionally invested in me or they, yeah. they trample over my feelings. So I'm going to trample over their feelings or I'm not going to make mm -hmm. an effort. Um, yeah. I actually just spoke to a client today who is doing some incredible work to realize um, that the relationship is not 50, 50. We, we don't wait mm. for 50, 50 to act. We're striving for a hundred percent, a hundred percent. We're both bringing yeah. our hundred percent because it'll never be 50, 50 across the board. And so it, it's a constant reminder to continue to lean into empathy for our partner, how we feel about their family member or what's important to them or what they brought into mm. the relationship before we were in their lives, how we feel is immaterial. What yeah. it's, it's how they feel and, and 
part of it's part of their love like it, we speak in their love language not in our mm. love language and yeah. i mean unless there's things that are trampling upon my life i have to be able to, to at least for a second step into my partner's shoes and sort of see things from their eyes and see how they're feeling about uh, a situation i think it's the hardest thing to do though isn't it really that kind of because we never really truly know how somebody else is feeling and it's really really hard because we spend so much time inside of our head and feeling the feelings that we've got and the thoughts that are kind of, you know, that train of thoughts that, that are running through our head cont- continuously. Mm-hmm. Although I do know there are a few people that have no thoughts. Can't quite get that, but anyway. <laughs> there are a few. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure my mind never switches off. Um, hilarious, so it's yeah. really, really difficult to switch from actually what's in your own head to then what might be going on in your partner's head. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it is, it, it is a challenge and I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. there's so many areas of respect or disrespect it could yeah. be respect for people's finances respect for digital privacy oh my god mm. huge thing huge <laughs> thing just I even had a conversation this weekend about you know to hack into your partner's phone or ipad or to not hack into and i'm a solid hell no um it's a hell no from me too right it's a hell no for yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. I think there are another couple of areas just to kind of finish off this hot topic before we uh, kind of switch to the questions. You've mentioned boundaries, you know, that kind of real Mm. respect for your kind of boundaries and not kind of crossing over those. I think making sure that there's some equity in the relationship. So, Mm. you know, we've just said there about like, you know, it being 50-50 or actually should we both be kind of aiming for 100-100. I think my view on this is um, whenever you know, we're going to ebb and flow. So there are going to be times when actually I'm at 10% and I need you to pick up 90 because I'm just not there um, for whatever reason um, and vice versa. So we've got to be able to kind of switch with the with that kind of um, almost those kind of energy levels or that ability to be able to serve the relationship and serve each other. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be able to switch between the, those two parts, I think. Mm. Um Great point. And then, you know, there's stuff around kind of decision making. Does your partner respect your point of view when it comes to a decision? Um, or is it always your partner's way? You know, is it their way or the highway? Um, that then shows actually you're not that interested in kind of my input into this. So that makes it um, unfair for me. It makes it inequitable within that relationship because we haven't got two valued members within the relationship that are able to contribute to that decision making. Oh, gosh, yeah. No, that's a really great point. And I think, you know, my last point here is around kind of um, appreciation and recognition. So when we don't respect our partner and the respect has disappeared, we stop um, with those kind of, um, you know, affirmations or that real kind of appreciation for the part, for our partners and, and what they bring to the relationship, you know. So when we stop saying thank you um, for small things, you know, um, or when we stop noticing that our partner has done something nice and we say, do you know what, that was really lovely, thank you for doing that. Mm. That, to me, shows that, you know, we've, we're starting to lose respect. It it really is like the downslide to nowhere, um, especially for women who love men, um, mm. that time and again, men need respect. They don't need our love as much as they, they, need our, they need our respect. Respect for what they bring to the relationship, respect for the lives that they have, the, the purpose that they uh, strive for in terms of their work, their livelihood, um, perhaps like a workout routine or a, or a you know, a maybe they strive to to run their first Ironman, whatever it might be, is 
Yeah, there, I will say that there's a real strong need for respect, and we tend to trample over that uh, and discard it. And that is, you know, huge, huge, um, what am I trying to say, like nail in the coffin. you mm. got to pull out from that train wreck like or that plane crash like right yeah. quick. I think sometimes the need for appreciation and recognition isn't so much with a gender balance for me it's more about whether you're a head or heart person this is what I tend to see anyway that if you are kind of more heart-led you're gonna seek more of that kind of recognition that affirmation of your relationship the um you know appreciation and the thanks and the kind of you know applause and celebration then if you're kind of a head person I think you're less you're less in need of that in a relationship that's just my personal thoughts all right okay all right I like it I like those two different, different viewpoints. Yeah, a little different take there. Yeah, I like it. All right, all right. <laughs> so I guess, you know, to summarize this really, um, you know, maybe take some time this week and just think about what does respect mean for you in your relationship? And do you have it? Do you have it on all the levels that mm. whether it's kind of the things, the areas that we've discussed today or whether it's things that are really important to you? And where would you like to deepen that respect? Or have you noticed kind of a shift in, in where you actually feel more disrespected than you used to? And um, and how would you readdress some of that balance? Yes. And also to be heartened by the successes you already have in your hand by looking at yeah. where are the places where I feel there's a great deal of respect and I recognize that we are doing the hard work to cultivate yeah. that sort of big boisterous blooms of um, healthy flowers in that particular part of your garden um, because if we're looking at glass half empty it's very very hard to coach from that but if we're recognizing our silent wins that we're working on every single day uh, absolutely yeah I mean we always need to as much as possible try and come from a place of strength and then we're looking at how we can top that up Yes. Or how can we maintain it? How do we maybe just go a little bit extra um, to get a little bit more of what we want in the relationship? You've got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I'm feeling a rosy glow as you talk about flowers in the garden. I know, right? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. It is spring indeed. <laughs> it is. Shall we? Um, are you ready for a question, my lovely? Yes, I am. I live peacefully with my husband when I'm an anxious attaché and he's an avoidant. <laughs> oh God. Bum, bum, bum. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. Th- and this is a classic pairing, right? Because when an anxious attached and an avoidant attached person come together, they're reinforcing the, the, the magnetic draw is so much. They're reinforcing the messages that make them anxious or avoidant in the first place. So unfortunately, it's a very, very attractive pairing. Been there, done that. Feels great. Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost, I think it's really important to see this as not not a bug, but a feature of the whole system is that it's not a surprise that you're, you're in partnership with somebody with an, with a opposite spectrum, insecure attachment style, Mm. just to start that off. Yeah. 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 
So, yeah, I mean, attachment styles, we've talked a little bit about them on the podcast before. So if you're, um, you know, if you're more of an anxious attachment style, when when you feel like things are kind of going off the rails, then you are, um, you know, you're going to seek validation, even on a kind of normal day to day, you're going to be the one that's kind of asking, you know, do you still love me? You know, how do I know that you love me? You're going to kind of constantly seek that validation that the relationship is there. It's true. It's real life. It's not going to self-combust at any given moment. Uh So you want that real kind of assurity. The avoidant attachment style kind of doesn't want any of that because it feels suffocating. Um, They want to be able to hit the kind of get out clothes at any point they mm-hmm. want the kind of break clothes and the lease to be there yep. um so that you know if things are really bad but it doesn't matter because you know I guess I didn't really think it was going to be forever so it's okay because I've got a clothes in there which kind of you know I've got the um the parachute and I'm ready to kind of go if I need it mm-hmm. so we get as Anna says we get these two styles kind of naturally or drawn to each other um and then you get this kind of ping pong effect that happens when you know something does go wrong and and funny enough and it's not even going wrong it's the regular dance the cadence of it so you know and and people will know this if I just start describing it so if you feel that you're always freaking out and you're feeling very insecure you'll notice that maybe you're somebody to blow up your partner's phone and your partner ignores your text messages and Mm. then for you go a week without texting them and guess what your avoidant partner starts texting and coming after you and expressing some interest, right? So there's this hard to get kind of game that happens, Mm. uh, which is really exhausting. Uh, And unfortunately, it's normalized, but very exhausting. Yeah. It's that kind of push, isn't it? So from the anxious person, they're kind of pushing into the relationship, they want something, they want that validation back all the time. That then causes the avoidant partner to withdraw, to withhold, to pull back. And then you kind of see it in reverse. So you get this push-pull that's happening, mm-hmm. um, you know, across multiple times. Yeah, sometimes across an entire relationship. And it can get really yeah. vile. It can be, get really... Mm-hmm. You know, some people might feel very distraught, very hopeless. Maybe they do some reckless things because they're feeling so emotionally dysregulated because they are not getting this validation that they're seeking externally from the relationship, Mm. which as somebody with certainly some anxious uh, traits, uh, I can uh, not only see it in myself, but also see it in in clients that I coach. Really, the, the key is the key to the solution is actually within the problem. So you know, as an anxiously attached person, you are looking outside of yourself for validation that I'm good enough, that I'm lovable, etc. There's mm. a deep sort of the feeling or belief that I'm unlovable or that there's this uh, conditional love. I'm only lovable mm. if somebody behaves in a certain way or if I sort of show up in a certain way, if I, if I look this way. And if I don't, then I'm immediately to be dropped. Um, so one of the keys for people who are anxiously attached, we have to start to bring that locus of control within ourselves. Mm. And one of that is to engage in activities and relationships that are independent of our partner, that are our own, uh, that uh, give us uh, confidence and a sense of purpose. So that might be leaning into a job or leaning into a friend group or developing a hobby that does not feed into this you complete me Jerry Maguire situation that all of us (laughs) were raised with, which... Screwed us up for a generation. But but really, it's starting to establish the foundation under your feet. That is like the start. Yeah. And not depending on your partner for that external validation. Yeah. Easier said than done. 
It, yeah, it is totally, you know, we've got to look to ways to kind of build our own self-esteem and to uh, really reinforce that message that this relationship is real, it's here to stay, I deserve it and I'm worthy of this love. Yes. And if it's not here to stay, then I'm better off for it. Yeah. Because it, it can't, you know, there are relationships that don't make it. Absolutely. It's part of the learning. It's part of the growth. And if it didn't, then I was better off for it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I often hear is if my partner didn't ignore me, if they were there for me, if they reassured me more, I would mm. feel better and my anxiety would go away. What do you say to very, very, you hear it all the time. What do you say to that? I think that it's probably untrue. So, um, you, if you naturally have an anxious attachment style, then it doesn't matter how much validation you get, it's probably still not enough for you. Mm -hmm. So I think going back to your point about looking inwards, who am I, what's going to help me to feel more confident, comfortable, what's going to help me feel more secure and how do I get more of that for me, I think is something that's really key. One of the areas I would start to look at is recognizing the patterns of behavior. So recognizing what it is that's triggering the anxiety and then what I do after that mm. and how I can then intercept that. Because I think that for me is the key part of breaking this anxious cycle that happens. And I think there's something around kind of how do I shorten the turnaround? Because often we'll see a turnaround where things kind of get back on track again that kind of cycle can be anywhere from kind of you know in some extremes to you know two weeks to four weeks to longer before we actually get back kind of on track again so I think you're always wanting to look at how do I shorten the cycle of those periods of mm. anxiety of overwhelm where I feel you know like things are totally out of kilter and um you know just not on an even keel with my partner and and I think the other thing I'd say is, what's the story that's going on and how do I reshape that in my own mind? Hmm. Because I'm attaching something to to the situation. So how do I reshape that? How do I look at a fresh perspective that's going to serve me better in this situation? Because sure as hell, the way I'm doing it right now mm -hmm. ain't working. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's a nice thing to, to, real, to look at the pain of status quo. What's this, mm. what's this costing me, this constant yeah. cycle? Yeah. I, I think sometimes as well, you know, when we notice an emotion or a feeling that comes up and it's really strong for us, we immediately think we've got to do something about it. We immediately think we've got to react. Hmm. Now, often emotions and feelings are, are short-lived so the word mm. nothing lasts forever we're only ever in a in a moment in time and whilst it might feel uncomfortable and painful and just damn right shitty sometimes we can just sit with that feeling and it will mm. pass there isn't any action to be taken mm -hmm. and then it's recognizing that oh gosh that has been one of the big <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> And again, a lot of kids are being taught this this day, these days. Unfortunately, it's not a course that I had when I was growing up. But the sitting with horribly strong hurricane wind emotions mm -hmm. and realizing that nothing lasts forever in the emotional yeah. sphere. And absolutely, uh, just holding space for myself through a massive trigger yeah. and just holding firm, possibly removing myself from the situation. Oh, I'm just going to go and spend an afternoon and yeah. freak out to myself. It yeah. is incredible because... If I can last three to four hours and not spill a ton of nuclear waste on my partner with yeah. all of my dysregulated feelings, I will come out the other end of the store and be like, oh, I don't feel as intense of an emotional reaction as I did before. Yeah. yeah. 
And if I can pass that and not have had released nuclear waste on my partner, because you can't take back words. Yeah. Do you ever go through like a triggering scenario where you actually hold space to yourself and you say Mm -hmm. all sorts of awful things in your head (laughs) to somebody else? And then you come (laughs) out of it and you're like, oh, I feel better. And you're like, oh my God, did I say those words? No, I didn't. I didn't say them. I I thought them. Yeah. But I I controlled myself and I got myself through. Oh, amazing. You know, this sometimes when we're in those situations it's really helpful just to speak to somebody else about it that isn't your partner at that Mm -hmm. point you know and just say look I'm really I'm really feeling this way and because even just getting those words Mm. out can really help just to shift the energy around it and the intensity that we feel um in that moment absolutely and that's a great thing that you can tell like a trusted friend to be like yeah hey so you know I'm anxiously attached right and I have this total narrative of being abandoned and rejected and mm. I'm probably going to sabotage my relationship to fulfill that message if I'm not careful can you be my <laughs> can you <laughs> be my sort of uh vent where I can so kind of say a whole bunch board. of mean things yeah. right and don't I'm not saying that, like, I might say mean things about my partner to you, but I don't actually mean it. I'm just kind of emotionally yeah. dysregulated and freaking out. If you can hold space for me and then I'll feel better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Sometimes it's, you just need someone to listen. Yeah. While you get it off your chest. Yeah. After that, you go, do you know what? I feel 10 times better now. Yeah. And then you can and claim you can it and be like, yeah, I was overreacting. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I will say not a lot of friends can hold space. I was just talking mm. to a, a friend yesterday who because they're such an empath, they absorb the energy and complaints of their friends. And they've actually had to push back and be like, Hey, you know what, I've Mm. had a bit of a rough week. I've been hearing a whole bunch of people's grievances about their partner. I'm actually maxed out right now. (laughs) The parking lot is full. So just you can always ask permission for a friend like, Hey, are you uh, what's your what's your uh, um, storage space allowance for my emotional wreckage right now? If I can just share. (laughs) Oh, gosh. All right. Well, that's just me. (laughs) My emotional wreckage. Yeah. Uh, Lots of support, though, for us anxiously attached, lots of support, crowdsource, get the hive. Mm. It's hard, right? We're not bad people. We're just we go through very, very harsh vivid emotional experiences and it's very hard to remember don't believe everything you feel yeah and it's just about breaking that down one step at a time because you're not that you know you're not we're not anyone's style forever like this is the Mm -hmm. thing you know people often think with kind of you know when we do assessments or um we gauge kind of where we are on a scale or Mm -hmm. we're given a label or a name it's kind of like oh well that's just me forever I have to put up with it yeah it's like so not true it's really it is possible to move beyond those styles to become you know move towards more of a secure attachment style it is totally possible you've got it because if you look at the relationships you've got with other people you will be you will have secured securely attached relationships mm-hmm. wow yeah you've got it yeah so hopefully there's that hope. helps there's hope <laughs> there is hope never give you've up got it. never give up yeah. yeah i like it okay that's a hopeful note to send us off into the week ahead it certainly is. yeah nice so any plans for the week ahead Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm continuing to enjoy all the flower gardens and landscaping that's just burst into color and here in Toronto and everything is so new still. The leaves mm. were just born. There's little um, 
duck families that are out on Lake Ontario. So there's little mm, ducks that cute. are teaching their babies how to swim. So they have like yeah. five to eight little ducklings following them. It is the cutest. Oh, yeah, so very that's, nice. Very that's, nice. That's what's going on over here. Oh, well, enjoy. Enjoy those moments of yeah. spring and summertime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Saving it up for the next winter. Just saying. We're not allowed to mention winter. <laughs> Correct. Okay. <laughs> it's a banned word. Correct. Yes. Do you remember I'm a banned um, coronavirus from we, the podcast? We did. We had a <laughs> no more talking of COVID. It's like no more. We're done. Yep. It's not happening. Yeah. This is a COVID free zone in our podcast. Yeah. 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 Well, we're yeah. now in a winter free zone. Thank yep. you very much. Winter free. There's no such thing as a temperature below 18 degrees Celsius. No. <laughs> 68 All for right. the Americans. <laughs> <laughs> so, till next time. Till next time. So that's it for another week of Geordie Lass and Doc Sass. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed chatting. Get in touch and share your questions for relationship remedies and any hot topics you want us to cover. If you need help navigating all things relationships, Anna and Sarah are available for one-on-one coaching support. Email info at geordielass.com. Please remember to like, share, subscribe if you've enjoyed listening. And if you've not, how on earth have you made it this far? I promise we'll try harder next time.